Amala? Hey, Tim. Hey, Amala. How are you, sir? I'm doing good. How are, right. you? How are you? I'm doing really well. I think we got it. I think we got it all together uh, connected. So that's really great. Well, I mean, for everyone listening in, um, I want to uh, invite Amala to uh, just speak some of his wisdom that he's got. And I originally met uh, Amala from uh, in Fort Collins, and he was part of my like core crew. Of we would meet together every Tuesday at 4:30. Um, him and then a few other spiritual leaders from the Denver area, they would come up to Fort Collins, and we they would gather with all the students out of uh, Fort Collins. A lot of college students. We'd get together and just um, learn from the Bhagavad Gita. We'd play a lot of uh, spiritual music, and then we would have a feast every Tuesday. And it's for me personally, it was one of my favorite experiences I've ever had in my life. Just meeting every Tuesday and just growing spiritually with this with this young man. I just really appreciate you being here, sir. Uh, thank you for tuning in. Uh, would you like to make a little introduction of yourself? Well, thank you for uh, expressing such gratitude, and I appreciate being here as well and having this opportunity to uh, speak with you and uh, catch up with a good friend, as well as to uh, share whatever wisdom I've gained in my uh, four years of being a monk with whoever is out there listening. Um, yeah. And practically, uh, when you look at the, the culture from the East, you can see there's, there's, a, there's an understanding of the, uh, the deeper connection the whole world has. Um, I've been to India now three times and you can see the, the underlying moon, mood of the culture there is very universal. It's very applicable to um, anyone and any, everyone, whoever's, um, whether you're, whether you're Christian or you're Buddhist or you're Catholic or Jewish or Muslim or what, what have you. The uh, Eastern philosophy teaches that the essence of all these practices is actually one essence. It's actually uh, rooted in the same uh, tree of knowledge. Hmm. Yeah, let me let me actually ask you and like uh, a little bit about that. So, wh when was the first time you uh, went to India, and what inspired you to go there? Like, were you already uh, a monk, or were you thinking about being a monk, or were you maybe a monk for like a year and they encouraged you to go? Like, how did that journey of your first time going to India uh, come about? Yeah, so after being a monk living in the in the monastery in Miami, Florida, for about seven or eight months, I got invited by a uh, very senior monk. He's been practicing for 40, 50 years. And he, uh, he saw me there. I was the only monk living in the temple in Miami. And he uh, asked me if I'd ever been to India. And um, when I told him no, he invited me to come. One of his students offered to sponsor my flight out there. So shortly after um, visiting Denver and meeting all the nice um, the congregation here of, of monks and uh, having the Fort Collins experience that you, you mentioned in the beginning of this talk, um, I went back to Miami and flew out to India for the first time. And I spent about five weeks there. And so that was a very transformative experience going to a new culture seeing how people uh, are relating in such a personal way. 
it blew my mind because we take for granted how powerful people are and how special every individual soul and every individual being is. We pass by so many numerous amounts of people every day and uh, we forget to acknowledge. Uh, I'm not saying like we, uh, everyone, but most of society, we forget to acknowledge the, the sp- how special it is that living force that we're coming in contact with um, on a grand scale. We're coming in contact with so many living beings. And one thing I learned about in India is this personalism that um, whenever you're passing by anyone, they, they acknowledge your existence. They're, they're very grateful to be near you and they always offer some respect. You'll see them, you know, they put, they join their palms together and they do what's called a uh, namaskar, which is um, you maybe see a lot of yogis do it. They, they put their hands almost a prayer position and they kind of bow a little bit to, to you and offer that respect. And that's just the culture there in, in India. It's just very, uh, especially in these rural uh, villages, it's very uh, centered on that appreciation of life. And that's one of the things I really took home with me. Absolutely. Um, so what, uh, India is such a big place. Uh, did you, were you just in one specific part of India or did you get to travel around a little bit or um, did you, because uh, you said you went a few different times. The first time you said uh, five weeks or so were you just kind of staying in the same uh, area or were you able to travel around a little bit and see the different parts of India I stayed in a uh, growing village called Mayapur it's in West Bengal and it's uh it's one place where the revival of our uh our movement of spreading uh was known as Krishna consciousness or God consciousness um really uh, took off in the Eastern world. That's where you could say that's where the pioneers of this uh, mantra meditation and, and the spreading of yoga began um, over 500 years ago. And this practice, of course, goes back thousands of years. So I went to the, uh, the beginning place of Kirtan, the, the, the homeland of Kirtan called Mayapur. And I spent just spent a month and, and a, about a week or two there um, and just really absorbing that that culture that they have there, the mood, the uh, the gratitude, and and the wisdom, the wisdom that the uh, the the great uh, practitioners there have to offer, and just being in that presence was very surcharging. And of course, when I went to India, the next few years I went to different places like um, Vrindavan, which is the uh, the uh, home of Krishna, Radha and Krishna. We hear about. They uh, or they exhibited so many transcendental activities and pastimes. And I went to this place called Jagannath Puri in Orissa, where there was so many other great histories and events that changed um, the course of the world. Everything you're seeing now, and especially it's becoming more and more popular, this yoga and meditation culture and this higher consciousness culture. You see more and pe- more people taking to it. People are starting to get into it, like Trevor Hall is out there. Dakota Winds and other um, revolutionaries. Um, you see like Ram Das and all. And so basically this, this movement uh, is just surcharged from, from these uh, great pioneers that started in these lands and were just uh, doing it amongst themselves and really going deep into the practice. And so I got to pick, a little, pick up a little bit on that. Yeah, absolutely. I bet you there was this special energy 
in the air where you were staying, if that's where the whole movement, there's probably just like some kind of something in the ether. Uh, how like how did that feel? What was that experience like? Could you just feel some kind of like maybe that's a little woo woo or something? But you get what I'm saying. Was there like some yeah. kind of special energy you felt in the air? Yeah. Well, it's not uh, it's not far fetched at all. The minute I walked in there, it was it was this energizing feeling. Um, this excitement was running through every tip of my body, and I was feeling so much gratitude. And I was I was just really trying to. I was closing my, I remember closing my eyes really deeply and saying, you know, Amala, you're in such a powerful place right now. Just really uh, appreciate it. Really be, really get absorbed in the moment. And, and I was just, it was just, uh, you could say ecstatic or very blissful. Um, I think for the first hour, I just couldn't stop uh, smiling. And so of course the jet lag hit me and I had to go <laughs> take a, a nap. But uh, yeah, it definitely has a surcharged feeling. Anyone that goes, even if you don't have any understanding of the of the practice or the culture or the tradition, uh, anyone that goes in there, they can feel the energy in the air, and it's so uh, pure and so moving and so uh, revitalizing. You feel recharged when you go. We go to India just to get a recharge, so we can come back here to the Western world and and share that gift with everyone else. Absolutely, man. I'm feeling, I'm feeling charged just you talking about. It. I feel like uh, you just uh, your enthusiasm just talking about. It, I can feel it like glowing from your <laughs> voice. <laughs> just you like re, re uh, remembering. Um, you uh, you had talked about Krishna consciousness. Can you touch up a little bit on that? On like what that means to you, or what that means to uh, the the culture? What uh, can you kind of break? The, I know that's such a big concept but can you kind of break that down for me uh, for someone mm. who may not be familiar with what krishna consciousness may be so krishna consciousness it's not an artificial imposition on the mind it's the natural function of the soul in other words uh, spiritual life krishna consciousness is not about changing anything but it's about rediscovering what's already there you, you could become Christian, and then the Christian person changes their faith. They become Hindu, or, or Hindu changes their faith, becomes Muslim, or Muslim changes their faith and becomes this and that. And that's some kind of faith. But the idea of Krishna consciousness is it's the understanding of that eternal nature that can never be taken away from you. And one example that's really nice is you think about sugar, for example. And there's many white powdery substances in the world. You can go and analyze so many ones, right? But sugar, the thing that, that, that distingu distinguishes sugar from all other white powdery, powdery substances is the sweetness it has. That's how you know it's real sugar. You know, if you make cookies and you put some salt in it by accident, it's not going to have the same effect. So the constitutional mm. position of sugar is its sweetness. And the constitutional position of water, for example, is the ability to hydrate and quench and cleanse places clean. So um, everything has its constitutional function. And so uh, the living being itself has this thing called uh, nitya dharma. And we, this word dharma is becoming more and more um, familiar in the West. People are um, understanding it more, these terms like dharma or yoga or karma. And so nitya means eternal, and dharma, you could say, means your occupational function or your, your, 
constitutional position. So this eternal constitutional position of the living being is what Krishna consciousness um, is, is meant to revive that eternal, blissful, not, um, cognizant uh, awareness that's there. Uh, and to wake us, wake us up. Actually, if you're, you're, we're, we're described as everyone's sleeping in, in this dream. It's almost like a matrix, this, this world, this temporary world we live in. And, and the Krishna consciousness is about waking up and seeing reality. It's not about changing your religion or becoming a Hindu or becoming a, a follower of Eastern culture. It's just about reviving what's already there. And that's basically it, and the summary. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I feel like what I just got from that, it's like, you know, a lot of people um, think that you have to be a Christian or you have to be uh, fill in a Buddhist or fill in the blank to be able to fig- find this consciousness. What I, what I feel like I just got from you was it's not so much about the uh, title or like the uh, religion so much as it is about the way of being and how to go about uh, reflecting on reality. Um, hmm. is, is that, is that kind of, is that kind of, uh, what you're, what you're getting at, uh, kind of towards the beginning? Um, yeah, exactly. Right. And what are some, what are some ways, uh, that you feel like you can tap into Krishna consciousness? Um, is, is there, are there certain practices you can do to, uh, tap into it? And how do you know when Krishna consciousness is guiding you and it's not your mind or it's mm. not like the illusion of what your mother told you was correct or whatnot <laughs> or what society put on you how do you know when it's truly the supreme uh, consciousness that's guiding you as opposed to maybe just uh, an illusion well that's a wonderful topic and that can <laughs> definitely we, we can be, it's something to to, to uh, go deep into but I'll do my best to make it very concise. And, uh, <laughs> I, don't mean to, I don't mean to throw too much on you at once, you know, but feel free to rant as much, yeah. go on as, much as, you, as, you, as you like about it. I'll make it very uh, simple and easy to hear, hopefully. Um, sure. So the first question is, what, what can one practically do to become Krishna conscious? And basically, there's no bar to what one can do. Like, um, there's no, there's not too little it's not like you, you, you. It's not like you're doing too little, or you're doing too much. Uh, Krishna consciousness is accessible to all, uh, so you can do anything that that you can do. So the focus is not about what you can't do, and maybe a lot of religions or a lot of uh, maybe fanaticism out there, they might emphasize what you're not doing. And it'll make people feel guilty and they, you're not doing this, you're not doing that, you're not doing this, and you're a bad person and you got to do this. Rather, Krishna consciousness is about, we understand everyone's busy, they got their life, they're doing their things, but everyone has some little time in their day to add a little bit of spiritual culture. Especially nowadays, we could be honest, a lot of our time goes into social media or on our phones, we... We, we can uh, definitely cut down a little bit, just a little amount, you know, whether it's a minute a day or, or five minutes or 10 minutes or an hour, whatever one can do, one um, should put themselves near transcendental vibrations. So that's as easy as 
what we're doing right now. We're, right now we're talking about spiritual topics. It actually, uh, the vibration is of a different quality and it has an, a, a profound effect on the heart and it cleanses the heart from all the uh, false designations that I think I'm this, I think I'm that, I think, I'm a, I think I'm a businessman or I think I'm a lawyer or I think I'm a doctor, I think I'm a man, I'm a woman, I'm black and white. But actually the soul is beyond all these uh, temporary designations because I may be a man this life, I may be a woman that life, I may be a dog or a cat or an eagle or a bird or a tree. And so that's another topic of reincarnation that uh, the, that the Eastern culture gets into. But understanding all these different uh, designations, understanding their functions, uh, we don't want to uh, get entangled into believing that we're this external body. We rather want to understand uh, what's deep within, What's where's the love within that we're all looking for, where's the happiness. And, you know, they say uh, the, the happiness um, can only be found uh, within ourselves uh, because we, we, could, we can have so much money, we can have so many accumulations, but we're not going to be happy until we feel satisfied with ourselves and we appreciate our existence. We can't appreciate others' existence until we appreciate our own existence. And how, how, how easy it, that's so much easier to do that first, to, to really you have one person right here with you right now, which is the self, and just appreciate that life, appreciate every breath we have. And even that in itself is, is a beginning to a spiritual awakening. So uh, it, it could start as little as being conscious throughout the day, being aware of our activities, being aware and being grateful that, wow, you know, I have this facility or that facility and and maybe other people aren't so fortunate, so I should feel grateful and, and uh, have a positive outlook that, that things might be going bad in my life, but there's a lot of positive as well. And where you place your attention, then the energy flows and then the actions follow. So that's, that's basically, and it, it goes as far as, you know, if one wants to every day chant, uh, we have very sacred vibrations from india the one is called the maha mantra and you know it very well and we uh this is one way of doing it you you vibrate this transcendental vibration one of the ways is people uh a lot of times in yoga classes they begin and they might end with a, a an om and so that everyone will, will take a deep breath and they'll let out a, a very powerful om and this is one form of mantra meditation. Another one that we like to do a lot because it's uh it's like it's like diving deep into the inner workings of the Om is this Maha Mantra, this great mantra, which by the way, mantra is two words. It means man, mind, and tra means to free or liberate or uh, release. So the mind is always bound up by so many worries. I got this responsibility, that responsibility, my work, this deadline, my schoolwork my family, my girlfriend, my dog, and so many things are in the mind, the baby's crying, but the mantra helps release the mind from these anxieties and, and feel freedom and feel happy and feel relief. And so it's as easy as chanting this mantra and everyone can look it up on Google or um, check it out on YouTube. They have many different um, guided um, mantra meditation ones, but it's as simple as vibrating this mantra and I'll say it once just so everyone can hear it. It goes, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. And it's just three words. It's very simple. It's just three words. And of course, it's structured in a certain way. 
But the first word, Hare, it means the feminine spiritual energy of the Supreme. Krishna means the masculine, all-attractive beauty, potency, the personality, the love. And Rama means the highest pleasure. So we're actually connecting to the highest pleasure when we chant this mantra. And it takes some time to work, just like medicine. It takes some time. You have to be consistent with it. So they say, there's, a, there's an ancient saying, a drop a day wears a stone away. So even if you do a little bit, even if you say one mantra a day, you right in the middle of your day, you're having a stressful day, you just sit down. You might be in your car, you shut the engine off. You take a deep breath and you just say the mantra with full attention. Once a day, it will, it will have such a profound effect. So it's about, about how you can do it. Myself, personally, I do it for two hours every day. But I gradually worked it up. I, I didn't start like that. I started very small. I did, you know, I did a little bit a day. I, did, I timed myself five minutes a day. And then I did 10 minutes a day. And then I increased, increased. And it's like that. Some people in, in India, I've seen, they chant, believe it or not, eight hours a day. Some people chant 12 or 20 hours a day. And it's really uh, amazing how they're, uh, they're sustained by that spiritual vibration. Wow. So I hope that's a good answer to your first question. Yeah, absolutely. And and that's just so impressive to me um, to be able to train one's mind to be able to focus so much. It seems like you're almost like working out, you know, like people go to the gym and, and lift weights to increase their muscles. It seems like almost like you're lifting weights for your mind. Um, and especially yeah. in, a, in, in the society we live in today, we're constantly so distracted. You know, we're like, oh, I'm going to do this. And then you focus on that for two minutes and then you hear a notification and then you're like, oh, Facebook, Facebook. And you're like, oh, yeah. I'm supposed to be doing this, and you're doing that. And the next notification, it's so easy to just go from left to right to left to right. But just uh, the ability to focus your mind, I mean, two hours, it's, <laughs> that just seems like so much. I know you've been doing it for so long, but, I'm man, you must have, like, an Arnold Schwarzenegger brain or something, <laughs> man. Like, I swear, I can't even imagine what those brain, like, the monks, like, brains are like. I know you can, like, hook up your brains to an EEG or whatever they're called where it, like, test the vibrations i bet you, i would love to do like a little experiment and go to like a monk in india who does like eight hours of chanting a day yeah. and really see what their brains are like because i bet that like there's like it's almost like some superhuman level stuff when you uh can train the mind to be so focused for such a long period of time um that's just a little rant that i just started <laughs> thinking about but i don't know i just think there's a lot of power to that and another thing that you were mentioning too is uh the chanting um, and just the sound and the vibration, something just feels so uh, universal about that. You know, uh, sound is just something that it, I guess it doesn't matter if you're on Saturn or you're on Pluto, like sound is just kind of uh, probably sound everywhere, you know? And I know yeah. for me personally, uh, like listening to music or even chanting with you guys and playing instruments and dancing and just feeling music has been some of the most transcendent and transformational moments for my own personal life. Um, just something about that whole, like, I don't know, that just that music and sound can just really, like, lift, uh, like, melt away a lot of stress and a lot of, uh, I don't know, I don't like to use the word ego because uh, that could mean so many different things, I guess. But do you want to touch up on that, on, uh, on maybe uh, sound, uh, vibration healing and maybe your perspective on uh, the power of music and the and the power of uh, of vibrational sound. 
meditation and things like that? Yeah, and you know, it's, I really appreciate what you're saying about how powerful sound is. It doesn't matter where you're at. Everyone can appreciate sound or music. And like the great Bob Marley said, the one good thing about music is that when it hits you, you feel no pain. Mm-hmm. And one thing we can see is that music is very therapeutic. They're now even doing courses in major universities. Um, music therapy and science is doing so many studies on how music can uh, different styles of music or different intentions of the person can, singing or, or playing the instruments, how it has effects on even plants and uh, even like crystal development and, and uh, waters that are very, uh, you know, still waters that produce crystals and such, how, how certain types of lower vibrations they actually uh, affect and they might they might disturb the natural order of things so sounds very powerful it goes both ways there's positive uplifting vibration but there's also negative vibration and anyone that's success everyone wants to be successful in life if you're around that person that's a debbie downer and they're always morose about life and they're always complaining that you know, nothing ever works and this and that, then you're, then by being around them, we're naturally going to start feeling that way about the world. But if we're around people that are enthusiastic and they have a different outlook and they're, they want to be successful. They want to be, they want to do something um, special and give something back to the world in this lifetime. then we, we're, we're sure as hell going to pick up on that as well. And so that's the, uh, that's the beauty about vibration that affects the consciousness. So one has to be very careful where they, they, uh, where they what they hear what they put into their ears so you know especially if you're in the bay area they have signs all over these drains says uh do not uh do not dump into the drains they have all you maybe have seen them if you're near california these drains because they the drains lead to the ocean and so the ears are similarly just like these drains and the ears they 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 end up in to the heart they end up in the heart so whatever vibration is going in our ears, it's going to end up in our heart and it's going to affect our actions. So we have to be very careful with that, um, what, what, what we're listening to, what we're surrounding ourselves by. And, and um, it's good. It's good to respect all living beings, but you respect from a distance. It's not that one becomes a spiritualist and now I'm going to be lovey-dovey with everyone. Uh, you can respect them from a distance. Internally, you respect that this is a living being. They're, they're full of um they're they're constitutionally full of love and light but right now they're maybe being affected by different energies and they might affect my energy and uh, one example is like a tiger you can appreciate the beauty of a tiger and how it's a, it's a creature um you know of this world and and have that gratitude but you wouldn't go and embrace a tiger because the tiger would probably rip us to shreds <laughs> so we want to we want to be careful. We don't, every, although there's a oneness in the spiritual reality, there's also a, a healthy distinction just for the sake of continuing our practice. And uh, what's interesting is that sound is uh, something that is the most powerful of all the senses in one sense. Because, uh, for example, if you're sleeping, you're in a deep sleep. Um, people can be like, you know, moving around, walking, be, you know, whatever, they'd be like a TV going on to make a turn on the lights, all these things. And it might not even wake us up, but as soon as our alarm clock goes off or someone starts clapping their hands, something we'll hear that before we, 
see someone and even if someone's right in our face you know we're sleeping and someone's just like has their face right close to us we won't see them you know uh all of our other senses our sense of smell someone could put like a cookie next to us we won't smell it we only remember the smell in our but as soon as someone makes some sound uh, we'll wake up someone starts you know banging on something or whatever asks, asks us to rise we'll, we'll rise we'll wake up so a lot of people, uh, they rely on the sense of sight to perceive a spiritual reality, but we promote that. Why not try giving your ears a chance? Let your ears see the spiritual world. Let your ears be the, the, the medium to perceive the, the reality of the spirit self. And that comes through gaining knowledge through the ears, through hearing from the right source and through vibrating transcendental vibrations. And that's actually how we can distinguish between what is the mind and what's that Krishna consciousness guiding us because the mind will, will tell us, you know, might, might convince us that something is spiritual and it might not be spiritual or good for us. So the, the way to do that is by hearing from the right source. And I always recommend, because if you want to be good at something, you could be, you could be amateur and you could get by, you can kind of slip through if you just do on your own, you know, if you're, you know, let's say you're playing basketball or you're practicing some sport, you're on your own, but if you have a, a really good, inspirational coach someone that can train you can push you past your limits even when you're doing some weight training and i'm sure you're familiar with this if you have someone there to motivate you and and kind of push you to your limits it, it, there's a lot more possibility and and it is and then they they can also see some 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 errors in in our technique and can can adjust and correct so that same idea of having a teacher is applicable in spiritual life and when one is very serious. One just seeks guidance from those who are more advanced. Um, and one eventually seeks a guru or one who's very, very advanced in spiritual understanding and takes guidance from them and takes help because uh, we all need a little uh, help in this world. It's, it's a challenging place, but when you have a, a team or you have good association to support you, it becomes a lot easier to, to realize what is and what isn't. Absolutely. Uh I can say from my own personal experience too, like, I don't know, I'm, I'm just the type of person that'll so easily adapt to a crowd that like, I'd have to be super careful of who I spend my time with. Cause I'm just kind of like a chameleon, you know what I mean? I'm just so easily, I'm friendly and like easy, but sometimes it, when you start associating with the wrong types of people, you start doing habits. You don't want you, maybe you'll start smoking again or start drinking again. And then all of a sudden you'll, you, you see yourself kind of going down to bad habits, but just, right back the other way like hanging out with people like you guys and all of a sudden I was much more mindful of how I can serve because I've just always see by example of you guys constantly serving um, and constantly whether it be by giving out books and giving out you know spiritual texts or just giving someone a ear to hear hear them out and kind of hear what what's going on in their life or a little bit of guidance or even or any way I just one of the biggest things I admired about you guys is y'all would always just selflessly serve um, and just figure out how to, any way you can, better someone else's life. And uh, just that really rubbed off on me whenever I would hang out with you guys. So um, first of all, I just really want to appreciate it. I also want to be mindful of your time. I'm not sure how uh, much longer uh, you were able to speak on this or uh, be able to speak on this recording. How much How much time do we have, Why? Well, um I actually have a, another um, function to attend to in, a, in about like three or four minutes, so we could go a little, we could go a little bit more and maybe um, come to a conclusion or maybe summary or sure. as you like. 
Sure. I mean, and we can have these uh, whenever your uh, schedule is in alignment. I mean, we could do these talks all day. This is like one of my favorite things ever to talk about is spirituality and just overall how to bring Krishna into your life. Well, what, whatever that means for you, you know, God or the higher supreme, uh, bring him into your life. But yeah, we can we can wrap it up. Um, I mean, with two minutes or however much time you want to take, if if you were to give someone just like one takeaway, if you were to try to give someone like the biggest piece of wisdom you can in the next 90 seconds or so, what is uh, someone just calling to you for help? What are, what are some things that you would uh, like to shed light on, on someone for? Well, especially since uh, you and I, we're, we're, we're of young nature still. We um, maybe in our 20s, um, approaching 30s. And I'm sure the viewers out there will be also young and, and finding themselves. And some, some wisdom I've learned from the elders and going to India and, and experiencing from uh, very powerful uh, souls out there is that we don't have to really figure it all out all at once. Um, especially when we're young, we just want to figure it all out. We want to just, we want to get to, we want to be, we want to be super successful right away. We want to um, get to the highest rung of the ladder right away. Uh, we want to just be there already. We want to be there. And, and, uh, and that's, that's a really good um, state of mind to be in. But at the same time, with having that enthusiasm, and that determination, that eagerness, we should also pace ourselves and, and keep it, uh, keep it natural, keep it uh, according to our ability. Just like you mentioned earlier, weightlifting. Um, of course, we want to, you know, we want to get to that, you know, hundred pound bar uh, dumbbell, you know, but we got to go through the, to the five, the 10, the 20, the 40, the 50. We got to go little by little and do what we can. So what I would encourage to everyone, um, and this is something I'm still um, experiencing and learning and, and uh, it's helping me a lot is that um, don't really focus on what you can't do yet, what you cannot do, but rather focus on what you can do. And if that, if you, if you're able to do a little bit every day, just a little spiritual touch every day, um, it'll have miraculous effects on your life. And so I encourage everyone just do whatever you can to uh, make a, make a, a change in your own consciousness and not really a change, but to reawaken, like I said, what's already there and do what you can do. And, and don't feel too upset. If sometimes we, sometimes we make mistakes, we trip, but, uh, just like a little child is learning to walk for the first time, of course they're gonna fall and slip up. But we should get back up on our feet right away and, and our feet right away and just uh, uh, keep persevering. And so that's what spiritual life is, and that's what every if you want to be successful in this world, no matter what you do, especially in spiritual life, you gotta persevere. You gotta um, you gotta stay enthusiastic and confident and be uh, very patient uh, and and know that success will ultimately be. Uh, guaranteed for one who is who is uh, of strong determination and who takes advantage of wisdom when it comes to one's life. Not that one just gets the wisdom and doesn't apply it, but trying to take advantage of the wisdom and slowly apply that to one's life. And take don't be afraid to take guidance and and think that I need that that don't be afraid to say that I need some help from others and to take that that humble position that I can learn from someone else. So be very, be very, being very open-minded and being very inquisitive to go deeper. And I'm sure all success will be guaranteed in whatever you do in life, especially in a Krishna consciousness or a spiritual consciousness.
Absolutely, brother. That was beautiful. Thank you. I I appreciate your time, and uh, I know you're going to be doing uh, some big things in this next meeting and expanding more consciousness, <laughs> and I appreciate the moments we had here today, and I look forward to connecting again soon uh, through another podcast, and we can expand more on your journeys and even more Krishna consciousness. Um, Likewise, Tim. It was a great well, pleasure to speak with you. Yes, sir. Hare uh, Krishna, brother. Hare Krishna. Have a wonderful rest of your day and a uh, great journey ahead. Thank you.